Hey, welcome to this week's Thinking Podcast. And this is your host, Jeffrey Wu, with my co-host, Michael Brandt. And I'm really excited to have Joel Stanley on our show today. Uh, he's the founder of CW Hemp, and you might have heard of him and, and his family's story uh, you know, back in 2013, around that time when CNN did a special on this adorable little girl, Charlotte, who had uh, persistent, incurable seizures, Draga syndrome, I believe. And, uh, you know, your family was, uh, your business, you know, was able to, you know, link up with her and provide her with a strain of uh, high CBD, low THC uh, marijuana that was able to essentially cure her. And I think, I think that's an interesting point because I think a lot of people, you know, in the last three, four years have really seen that as a seminal moment where uh, CBD, marijuana in general has become, you know, slowly becoming more and more uh, ad- ad- adopted as something that is efficacious, is not, you know, a, something that just criminals use or, 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 or stoners use, but something that can actually have therapeutic and safe, effective use. Um, obviously, it's not an overnight success. I- I'm curious. Um, you know, there was a lot of work to even get yourself in that position. I think in the biohacking community that we see today, oftentimes, I think at Nutribox, we see ourselves as a poster child of this broader biohacking movement. And I see some somewhat of a similar parallel where it wasn't just like, hey, you just, you just dropped in there with like this magical strain of marijuana. There was a lot of like backstory before even th- that, that Charlotte came into the picture. So curious to hear uh, the, the inside scoop on, on how you even put yourself in that position. Sure, that's... <clears throat> that's a good start for our story and oftentimes that that really doesn't get told we just kind of pop up with uh, these you know (laughs) great varieties of cannabis for you know specific diseases um on sanjay gupta around 2013 well um my brothers and i and and there are seven of us seven boys in my family four girls so 11 kids total not mormon not catholic Uh, just fertile I guess (laughs) so my brothers and I got into the industry around 2008 my older brother Josh actually started um, the first dispensary in the city of Denver this was back during the time during the Obama administration where the Department of Justice had just released a memo that basically said hey um, in, in states where medical marijuana is legal we're going to leave at least the patients alone. Um, they didn't end up doing that for several years. You know, um, now everything's different, and really the federal government really is leaving the industry alone, where people are compliant and doing things according to the state. But back in 2008, 2009, it was, it was really still the wild west. Um, I was working in the oil field, Texas oil field at the time, and you know, to be honest. Um, you know, kind of to my shame, I didn't believe in, in cannabis as something that was actually medical. I thought that was kind of a joke. Um, I was not a prohibitionist at the same time. I just didn't understand it. And and right. when my older brother started this dispensary, I said, you know, well, I've, I've got to see this. This is, you know, this is funny. So I flew out to actually join my brothers for a, for a concert, a John Prine concert, and went to see his dispensary and right behind me walking in were three separate cancer patients, separate stages of cancer, 
Um, and I got to hear each one of their stories. And I was convinced immediately that within the cannabis plant, we had something that could help people sleep, help people eat, help people with nausea. I never considered, you know, what I called the munchies as as being potentially therapeutic. But when you can't eat, when you're going through chemotherapy, when you're nauseous, you can't keep food down, and you don't want to eat, well, if you can't sustain your body, um, you, you're not going to survive that treatment because all chemotherapy really is that kills everything, and it's it's a race. Yep. Um, you have to you have to outsurvive the cancer cells um, during those types of treatment. So I was immediately sold and I went back to Texas and just started pouring over research articles. And, you know, lo and behold, there's, you know, nearly 20,000 peer reviewed published papers by that time already. Now, most of it on the, on the abuse of cannabis, because that's all we seem to be willing to study here in this country. But much of it was also um, on, on the therapeutic benefits. And we found this word that back then only a hand only a handful of people in the world really had, had been looking at this word, and it was cannabidiol, and now we abbreviate it CBD. Um, and this is one of the many cannabinoids that are found within the, within the cannabis plant. Um, but it showed great promise for anti-inflammatory, anti-spasmodic. Um, the U.S. government in 2003... Um, actually filed a patent on cannabinoids in general as antioxidants and neuroprotectants. So there was enough science there for that to happen. So I started looking at it. I didn't really like my job. Called up my younger brothers and said, look, you know, the Obama administration has put out this, this, this memo. I'm starting to really believe in this plant that this is going to be the future of many parts of our health. Um, they all believe the same thing. So we jumped in late 2008 and, you know, started as a caregiver co-op here in Colorado. And we started, to be honest, only with cancer patients in the beginning. That was what we believed in. That was where we believed we could have the most impact. So these cancer patients would have like medical marijuana cards and licenses and you would essentially be uh, the supplier where you could use their licenses to grow. Was that like the legal loophole? Because I think at that time it was still very just like uncertain. So I think props to you to pull the trigger and Figure jump, out the yeah, jump, there. yeah, jump in there. Because I don't think there's a lot of precedent of how to like properly operate under what was called um, Amendment Twenty at the time, and it, it's um, it, it, it was a very vague, ambiguous law. As as many of the medical marijuana states started, there right. were no regulations around it, and so. Um, I'm, I'm thankful for that time for many reasons, even though that was very difficult. Um, we were at risk constantly of being raided, you know, having having product seized, going to jail, things like this way back yeah. then. But what it did for us is, is, is it was a system in which you have to know intimately each patient. And it taught us so much to know each person, why they were using it, and then um, begin to formulate a product that would work for them. And that's where my brothers, Stanley brothers, really, you know, we became very good at creating titratable um, products that typically were, were going to be taken orally so that we could measure an actual milligram dose of what cannabinoids they were getting. We learned to do that right at the very beginning because we had very medically fragile people. Um, our patients. So they needed to be precise and modular about the dosing 
That's exactly right. They needed something consistent. If something worked for them, they needed to be able to come back to the same plant material, the same product, and they needed to understand how to take it. Uh, very, very medically fragile people, mostly cancer. Um, we did have, have some early Parkinson's. And then in 2012, we had, we had been breeding plants since 2008, looking for plants that were high in this compound CBD. And, you know, again, back then, very few people could even pronounce the word cannabidiol, much less knew what it was, but we were actually breeding for it. And we believed that there was likely potential there. We didn't understand that it was going to be as impactful as it was. In 2012, um, little Charlotte Figgy, she was, she was five years old at the time, her mom, Paige Figgy, and her dad, Matt, um, they, were at, they, they had found themselves at the end of their pharmaceutical rope so to speak. Um, they had tried everything for Charlotte. She was having 300 to 400 violent grand mal seizures every week. Um, she was at the end of life, and they were at the point where their neurologists were saying, you know what, all that we have now is these experimental veterinary drugs. So these drugs are on horses or dogs. This is all we've got to curb these seizures is basically shut her little brain down and so they did their research. Kudos to them. They, you know, here you've got this mom, you know, child seizing in one arm, and she's Googling with the other hand, looking through, you know, thousands of research papers to find out what may be out there to help Charlotte. And she found this, this word, cannabidiol. And she found research from, like, Professor Mishulam, who was the first to really isolate um, CBD and THC from the plant and, and begin to understand them at, at the University of Tel Aviv. She found a study that happened in Brazil in 1980 that showed that a standardized cannabis extract that was high in cannabidiol was effective at, at treating seizure disorders. Of course, this was in adults. And so she started looking through the industry, you know, who has CBD? And She's going from dispensary to dispensary, and they're saying, CB what? Um, and finally, she found us, February 2012. Yeah, and as a, as a, as a context, to, to make it clear, usually you know, when people are trying to get a high, they, do not, they want the high THC, not the CBD. So essentially, the industry was like breeding out CBD, but you, in the foresight, look, you know, we're like trying to breed for high CBD, which was, you know, had, had just a lot of foresight. Well... And part of it, too, to be honest, you know, just a little bit selfish. <laughs> I really wanted to partake in the benefits of this plant because I was believing in it. I've, I've been reading about it. And some of us don't jive really well with high THC. Um, yeah. you know, some- I think a clear distinction there is a THC is psychoactive and, and the other cannabinoids are not, including CBD. It's not psychoactive. It doesn't give you that high it, that people associate with cannabis. Very important distinction. In fact, most of the cannabinoids, so cannabinoids are are compounds that really only two things on the planet that we know of make. That's our bodies, mammals. We have an endocannabinoid system, and we create endogenous cannabinoids. Um, Then you've got the cannabis plant, the only other organism on the planet that creates cannabinoids. And Cannabidiol, CBD, is one cannabinoid. It is non-psychoactive. All we know about it is, is, is that um, it, so far it appears to have a safety and toxicity profile that's much more like vitamin C than anything else. It doesn't get you high. It's anti-inflammatory. 
um, neuroprotectant, all these wonderful things. Then you've got THC, which is what we all associate with the, the euphoric feeling of getting high. Um, but it's also very important to mention that, that THC is an extremely valuable molecule. It's very important. And without it, those cancer patients we started with, um, many of them, they would tell you that they would not have survived their right. therapy treatment. So sometimes the psychoactivity is the medicine, and sometimes it's not. And in this case, um, CBD is, is, is non-psychoactive, which made us feel far more comfortable and the Figgy family far more comfortable giving it to a five-year-old. Um, and, and at this point, the tinctures that you were making, what was the ratio of CBD to other actives? When the Figgy family found us, we had bred a plant that was about 28 to 30 parts CBD to one part THC. So a ratio of about 30 to one. Um, this plant that we were using to make the now Charlotte's Web products, named after little, little Charlotte and her success, this plant really fit within the regulatory framework of hemp. So people need to understand um, all hemp is cannabis, but not all cannabis can be hemp. What, what makes a variety of cannabis fit within hemp is its THC level. If it's non-psychoactive and less than three-tenths of 1% THC within the plant, it's actually a hemp plant. But back in 2000... And hemp is a legal, it is a legal crop. It, Hemp has, has been legal for import for decades. In fact, the U.S. imports more hemp than any other country in the world. But it was not legal to cultivate in Colorado or per the U.S. until 2013 in Colorado with the passing of Amendment 64, which was the recreational law. Um, so we're very thankful for that, even, even though we were, you know, our our branding, our every, everything we do with hemp and cannabis is medical, it's, it's odd that the recreational bill is what also passed the, our, our ability to cultivate hemp here in Colorado. And then in 2014, the U.S. Farm Bill was signed into law by Obama, and we were able to actually just blow this out. And, you know, in between meeting Charlotte and that time, we had these Sanjay Gupta documentaries called Weed One and Weed Two that mostly focused on Charlotte's story. It, that created a waiting list for the Charlotte's Web product of around 15,000 people. And thank mm -hmm. God, hemp regulations advanced and we were able to go into open fields and, and treat this like a real crop or else we would still have a massive waiting list and we'd still have hundreds of families moving to Colorado every year just to access this you know, kind of last ditch option. Um, so, so Charlotte, to back up a little bit, Charlotte went from that 300, 400 violent seizures every week. Um, when she first started taking the product, she had none. Um, and of course, you think that's a fluke right off the bat. I'm, I'm, I like to think that I'm objective. I'm probably even more skeptical than most people. So I really didn't believe until, you know, the word of Charlotte traveled through a couple of small family Facebook pages for pediatric epilepsy. But once you start seeing, oh, now we've got 10 families that have been through the pharmaceutical gamut, but this is working for them the same way it's working for Charlotte, you start to believe. And now there's tens, tens of thousands of little Charlottes, and this is a very important medication. Um, but it's also, you know, 
remember we're, we're dealing with something that is a whole plant medicine, which only two of those exist as FDA-approved drugs because until recently there weren't any mechanisms to allow plant-based medicines to make it through that process. Um, so, you, so you have a whole plant hemp medicine that really fits as a dietary supplement. It's also you know not just something that's working for Charlotte and other families in those same situations. It's something that I take every day um, because it it has that super low toxicity profile, super safe profile. Right. And all we know about it is that it's extremely good for us, and we have a system in our bodies endocannabinoid system that um, compounds like CBD fit that system um, like a key through a tumbler. <laughs> now we've got this product and, and typically what we assume that a drug is um, from a regulatory perspective is anything that, that we make a claim on. If it works yep. for epilepsy, if it works for Parkinson's, um, then now it's a drug. And this can no longer be a food, this can no longer be a supplement. And we have this broken system that, in which we're really not allowed to talk about plant-based medicines. And our drug approval process for the things we can make claims on that insurance will cover is not built for botanical products. And it, most of the research that's out there that's been done on cannabis suggests that cannabis works in a whole plant form. And so we kind of have this uh, cart before the horse because of prohibition and you know broken system in which cannabis doesn't fit but yeah, that's actually I, really interesting how that is a similar parallel with biohackers where there's this like i i, I think as you're, as you're touching upon there's this artificial bifurcation with medicine with uh which is like very strictly defined on medical claims on prevention treatment diagnosis of disease and like enhancement but i think what you're saying here is that um to go through an fda drug trial is like a I think there's something about the whole plant versus a specific extract, but also, you know, phase one, phase two, phase three trials, which takes years and billions of dollars to push through that trial. So it sounds like um, you guys are operating as a dietary supplement or a food company and not making explicit medical claims. But um, like the, the subtext is that you're, you know, obviously people are, are, are coming to your products uh, knowing that this could help as an adjunct or, you know, something that could, you know, help them with their, with their diseases. Right. Is that, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a very tricky space to be in because, you know, it, it's really sad too. If you're one of these families like Charlotte's family and you look back at research going back many, many decades that shows that this option may have been available right. and this is infinitely safer than the approved drugs for these, for these medical conditions. And, and to put that in perspective, at Charlotte's age, there's not one FDA-approved drug for her. Everything she's tried has been experimental. Many of those are highly addictive. Um, they subdue the consciousness, basically shut the brain down, um, and they were nowhere near as effective right. as, these, as these whole plant, simple botanical um, mixtures. And, and we're in this difficult space as a company and as an industry um, we're not the only ones in this space now, and, and it's really difficult because we've got families out there. You've got me here, you know, telling the story of Charlotte, which this is just what happened. I'm not making claims. Uh, this is all anecdotal evidence. Right. But, but this is a part of our history and story, yet 
we're not really allowed to talk about it. Right. So as we go out there and create labels and as we advertise and try and help as many people as we can, I can't just go tell this story. You know, now this is me just talking in my home on my time, yeah. but uh, um, it, as an industry, we're, we're locked out of actually talking about how people are being helped. And we live in a society that, you know, one of the good things about us now is that we have massive research capabilities. We want to track things and make data-driven decisions regarding our health, regarding our companies. This is good. This is not bad. But at the same time, prohibition didn't just prohibit us from possessing it individually, cannabis. It also prohibited the research. Yep. Um, so, you know, kind of, you know, I don't feel bad about it. It's, it's, it's not our fault and it's not the industry's fault. Um, it's humanity's fault for prohibiting something so wonderful as the cannabis plant. Um, so we have some catching up to do. And so until we get caught up with the data and the science um, and create the regulatory mechanisms to allow for whole plant-based medicine to be covered by insurance, to make claims, to talk about what these plants can do, not just cannabis, but all the plants. Until we get there, we all, in the biohacker, um, nutraceutical, botanical medicine, and cannabis world, we have to live in this very gray area. Right. We are careful what we say and how we do it. And but It sounds like the, the, the best advocates are your customers, right? Like. The FDA, FTC will be angry at you if you're saying, hey, I'm, you know, if you quote unquote say, I'm, you know, my products can cure, you know, your baby's epilepsy. But if your community members say that, that's, that's, that's freedom of speech. I think that's like the, as you're saying, that's like sort of the gray area that a lot of these, uh, you know, forward thinking, you know, you know, products and, and, and pathways and that that's like, that, that's the world that we live in. I think it's like, even if you talk to a lot of doctors, like doctors that we've brought onto the show, um, yeah, they, everyone says that the insurance medical, you know, consortium, which is a very conservative, very slow-moving Goliath of an industry, and like I don't think anyone's happy, right? Like you talk to doctors, you talk to insurance, you talk to politicians. Everyone thinks that healthcare today in America is broken. It's twenty, thirty percent of GDP. Like you talk to politicians, like you know, if you just solve healthcare, that solves a lot of other aspects of our government because so it's so expensive. So I, I agree with you. It's just it's it's like this weird. And, and how much money is being saved with treatments like this, right? right. So it, how much money on the insurance system, on, on the government health care programs is being saved? And it, we have some data. We actually formed a nonprofit organization. Realm of Caring. That separate from us. Yep, that's right. The Realm of Caring Foundation. It is, it is separate from CW Hemp, Charlotte's Web, Stanley Brothers. I have a board seat because I'm a founder, but I do not control it, and it's very important that I don't. But it gives those families and those those anecdotal success stories the opportunity to come out so that we can talk about it. Um, it also provides resources for families. You know, can, <clears throat> can you imagine if you're if you're a you know conservative mom or dad, and you've 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 got a child going through what Charlotte was going through, your other options. You're about to try cannabis. You're from the Bible Belt. All you know about it is that hey, you know this is demon weed. weed. Yeah. Yeah. So it, and you need to be able, and, and your doctor can't tell you anything about it. They don't know what to say about it. So, it the realm of caring offers the opportunity for that family that's just starting to talk to a family that was in their shoes two years ago, 
And that's so important. We as a company absolutely cannot do that. People right. call time and say, you know, our, our um, customer service representatives pick up the phone and say, hey, you know, how do I dose this for my three-year-old? You with, can't give medical advice, right? You just say you can't give medical advice. Um, so we immediately send them over, over to the realm of caring. But what a perfect storm we live in in which we've misunderstood medicine. We've gone to single molecule isolates and synthetics that now come with all sorts of side effects that the plants originally, you know, typically didn't come with. Maybe sometimes they did, but not the way they do now. When we isolate these molecules, when we synthesize them and then put them in our bodies in an unnatural form, we now have all these side effects. So the medical community is shit, is swinging back toward botanical medicine, toward whole plant medicine, which is good science. I, it, it doesn't matter whether you believe uh, there's a God that created these plants for us or we evolved alongside them. Whichever one you believe, um, these, these plants come with, with combinations that our bodies recognize. And I feel like cannabis in large part is kind of leading the pendulum swing back to botanical medicine. But while we can't talk about it, the people that really know a ton about it and have seen the most about it, we can't talk about it. Those families you mentioned, those those people that are experiencing benefit, this perfect storm of social media and information flow we have now, it this is all culminating to teach us how we're supposed to be treating our bodies. Yep. I, th I think I think the information flow is is very important. Where now I I think in the previous generation you have these gatekeepers of knowledge, right? We have to go through, you know, some conservative doctor. For now, you know. Everyone has access to PubMed. You can look directly at top academic research from around the world, not just in the United States where marijuana is scheduled one. So there's no clinical research there. But yeah, I guess in Israel, other parts of the world, uh, the regulation around studying compounds is different, right? They can actually do clinical trials on that. So I think the access to tap into the information directly without middlemen with competing, perhaps competing interests, because a lot of these guys are complicit with pharmaceutical industry uh, that can't you know they can't dominate with like a patent on 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 a on a cannabinoid you know sub you know compound there's no profit necessarily from having a monopoly on marijuana so like there's like weird incentive structures just set up where i think with the power of the internet with with people connecting directly uh people are trading stories that are working for them and and i think there's this paradigm shift where uh there will be just larger citizen science type trials that people are going to be looking at as a, 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 as a baseline to make make informed choices for themselves i think i think that's a very american thing to do honestly right like it's all about self-responsibility self-education and i think when people are holding back information be like hey don't do the homework just listen to some old people in a room i think that just that's very backwards to me i think we should be encouraging and pushing this broader notion of educating and bring more and more people into the discussion that's that's exactly right. And let's not forget where we came from, where all of our medicines came from, even our current pharmaceuticals. Um, when we started to have the technology to really isolate these molecules and, and the legal framework to file for patents and really lock other people out of markets, um, we built this system that came from plant-based medicine. You know, used to 100% was plant-based medicine or even a little bit of animal-based. Now we're at a place where only 25% of our medicines are come from plants. 
But even then, it's an unnatural form. We've isolated, pulled out one molecule. Right. Uh, morphine's a good example, still comes from poppy. Uh, whereas methadone, basically synthetic heroin, is, is something we create, doesn't come from the plant. And those are patentable. We can, we can lock other people out of the market. And what we did was we found, okay, there's a, cult, there's a civilization or a culture in this area of the world that is effectively treating migraines um, with this plant. So we went and we studied it, and we, we said, well, this plant, can we pull out? Which one's doing this? We didn't think that it was, you know, many of them or all of them. Right. We pull it out, put it through these clinical trials, spend billions of dollars, nine years. Now we've got something that comes to market. Oh, wait. Now it's got, you know, four or five different, you know, side effects that this tribe or this, this indigenous people or wherever it came from weren't experiencing. So they go back to the plant, say, which, which molecule set, offset the side effects of anal bleeding or, you know, whatever <laughs> side effect was. So now you've got a whole new pill you can patent to treat the side effects. You can end up with six, seven different pills making billions of dollars around one plant. Right. All of it comes from the same plant or same group of plants in a certain area that we knew how to treat our bodies with long ago. Yeah. It's this broken thing, and, and we've got to get back, and we have to incorporate and botanics, and we can do that. So you have no interest. You don't think it's viable to isolate CBD and pharmaceuticalize it? I think that it's okay. I think that it still should be done. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say that um, single compound medication is always bad, okay. right? I mean, let's, let's use all the tools we have, but it's not going to work the same. That was part one of this week's episode of The Thinking Podcast. Stay tuned for part two 